The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. We are here with Dr. Doreen Grandpichet. It's my favorite day of the week when we get to be here with her. Uh, she is a true expert in the field of autism, having worked in this field for many years. Uh, I don't like to tell on her, she can tell on herself, uh, but she has been working for multiple decades with individuals on the spectrum, working with them and their families to help them to reach the, the highest level uh, that they can and to be able to do the things that are important to them, which I, I'm, I'm so proud that I get to be here with her for this hour. She's gonna be answering your questions in just a second. <clears throat> I wanna remind all of you that there are many different, I'm already the clump, see? Uh, there are many ways that you can connect, many ways that you can submit your question. We're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, and on Twitter. You can also find us live on our homepage, autism-live.com. And we podcast to every place. We're a free download wherever you get your podcast. So please check us out there. More and more of you checked out the podcast last month. And uh, we're going to be announcing because you guys made us number one podcast for autism on a bunch of different platforms. We're very excited about that. That's all you guys. Thank you for listening and sharing and uh, telling other people about us because that's how people find out about us. I'm starting by saying good morning to Amanda and to Sam. So thrilled that they are here with us. But Dr. Grampiche, welcome. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you very much, Shannon. Good morning. Always lovely to see you and, and hello to all of our viewers. And happy St. Patrick's Day to everyone. Okay. I actually did, I, I participated in a, an event that I don't ever do anymore. I got the ironing board out this morning and because uh, this shirt is I, one of my favorite shirts, but I never wear it because it has to be ironed. Uh, so, and don't look too closely because I didn't do that great of a job. But, uh, and it's reading like a muddy green. It's a very bright electric green. So I don't know why it's reading that way on the camera. But uh, with a name like Shannon, you know, I have to participate in St. Patrick's Day. It's, That's it's beautiful. Uh, I love that shirt. I was going to say, I love the color of that shirt. I also want to say this week or at the end of this week is, is Persian New Year, which is called Nowruz. And it actually started sort of yesterday because it's a whole process that, uh, multiple different events. And so happy new year to our Iranian uh, or uh, other viewers who might celebrate Nowruz. 
Happy New Year. So what I remember is that that means I need to clean my house from top to bottom, like everything. And yep. if, am I am I correct? We also have to get some watermelon, don't we? Watermelon on Persian New Year? So the process is actually three parts. So yes, yeah, so a big part of it is cleaning the entire house, which, and, and also you also actually wear, you purchase clothing for the whole family, which is brand new. So everybody mm -hmm. wears uh, new clothing on the actual New Year's event, which is this year is it changes every year, but this year it's occurring at, at uh, Saturday at like 2.30 in the morning. And, uh, but the other parts of it, if you remember, might, you might remember is that yesterday was what's called Charsham Bessuri, which is when you jump over fire. I think I've told you about this, which is also a cleansing ritual, right? And, is it too late? Uh, I want, I'll go build a fire now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome to come to my house because my son was not home. So we're actually going to be doing it tonight. Uh, but all Iranians did it yesterday, last night, and then uh, to, uh, on uh, then the New Year itself is Saturday, and then the next 13 year, days you're supposed to go see family, which with COVID, I don't know if that's going to happen, but then after that, on the, uh, the 13th day is the last day, which you have a green, it's like, like think of it as a piece of grass and you put that on flowing water, like a river or something. And then that kind of takes that away and then you go into the new year. It's a nice I love problem. These, I love these cultural rituals that we do around all different kinds of things. I love knowing about them. And I don't know about everybody else out there. I loved teaching these things to my son. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times people are like, I don't, you know, we don't get to participate in our own traditions with kids on the spectrum. And I thought it was really important. First of all, we live in Los Angeles. So it's, you know, uh, and, and one of the places we lived when he was little, they literally referred to it as the UN for lower income. We had so many different nationalities. And I just, I'm of the opinion, whenever you have something to celebrate, celebrate, right? And one of Jem's best friends, the whole time he was in grade school was Persian. And so uh, you know, between knowing you and going to their house, she was the one who cued me into the whole, you got to clean your house top to bottom. And you were the one yeah. who were like, like, oh no, Shannon, you got to pick up everything, every corner, like it's serious business. Um, right. But I think that those kinds of things are comforting. And the first time you do it with your kids on the spectrum, it's, you know, it's just this oddity, just like Halloween is this oddity. Like, why are all the rules different on this day? Kids don't get it the first time. They usually don't, with kids on the spectrum, don't get it the second time. A lot of times they don't get it the third time. But once they've done it 20 times, they begin to realize, oh, this is something that we do and it becomes the fabric of their lives. So we try, to, we try to celebrate everything. And yeah. if we have friends that celebrate, like if it weren't COVID, I would be at your house tonight with my kid to jump over fire. Okay, um, I'll remember that next year. <laughs> please, because... Uh, well, next year he'll be in college, but I'll be there. Um, but, but, you know, because we think that those kinds of things are important, it's important for them to have those milestones. And we think it's important for them for that perspective taking piece to know, Absolutely. oh, our family doesn't do this, but, you know, we do this with this family. We went and would do Hanukkah with a very dear uh, friends of ours. 
uh, when he was little because, and he still, he's like, you know, where's the, where's the menorah? Why aren't we doing Hanukkah? Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, and he has an awareness of it. So I, I love that kind of thing. Uh, I love participating it, in it with our kids. I actually think that it's something that can help them long-term with anxiety. That's a whole other thing. Sometime I'd like to write a thing on that because I think it helps them to be a part of their community um, in a bigger way. So anyway, um, but that's wonderful. And thank you for sharing that with us and happy new year. Thank you very much. Uh, happy New Year to all of you that uh, are celebrating New Year. Last night, I was, I, I'm now I'm doing the calm sleep stories. Do you do this, Ooh, Dr. Grampy Shay? I have done those, yeah. Uh, because I can't sleep. And last night I was listening to Lucy Liu tell me about Chinese New Year. Uh, oh, but of course I fell asleep, so I didn't really learn anything about it. She said, I'm L- Lucy Liu. And she started, and there I was. So I don't know anything. <laughs> You should listen, listen. My favorite one on there is the one with Matthew McConaughey. He's got a very relaxing voice on calm. I have not listened to that one yet. I, what I found that I, I like the children's stories cause I'm out and I like the ones where they take you on a tour of something. Like they take you on a train ride oh, somewhere. I get on the train and that's it. I don't know anything about it. Um, I'm hope I'm hoping it's like Edgar Casey and a part of my brain hears it and one day I'll know where Budapest is. Uh, but otherwise, it's the shirt. This shirt, can I just tell you the history of this shirt? This yeah. uh, when I used to do when I used to do stand up comedy and I would have to travel and you would travel someplace and you would do three nights worth of shows and so I wanted to have things to put in the suitcase that were easy. So I had three silk shirts, this green one, a pink one, and a blue one. So I haven't worn this in like 25 years, but it's a stand-up comedy shirt. So I think I have to be funny. I'll try to squelch it for the rest of the show. All right, because we got things to do. Um, I do want to give the disclaimer that Dr. Grampiche is here, and she is is here to answer your questions. But... And she's a, you know, I believe she's the expert to answer your questions in, in our time and any time for autism. But here is the asterisk. There is no expert in any field who can give individual specific advice in this format. So please write in your questions. Please write in your concerns. Be as specific as possible. But know that Dr. Grampy Shea is going to share with you more questions. So it's great if you ask your question and you're there to listen to the answer. Um, and to give more information. And she's going to give you things to think about, to take to the expert that has eyes on the situation. That's the only thing that's really fair um, for the individual, right? We don't want to set up an idea that Dr. Grampiche can see into your home and has spent time with, with you or the individual you're asking about. So there's the disclaimer for that. So Dr. Grampiche, and, and I, you know, I want to appreciate that somebody, Amanda wrote in and said, that's how we know we're still in the pandemic. I didn't even know it was St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. That's called, that's called being a busy mom too. That happens. I, I remember one day taking, picking my son up from kindergarten and, and I, I was sitting there in the carpool waiting and I, everybody came out and I was like, wait a second, why is everyone wearing green? And then I went, ah, it's that day. Uh, okay, so it gets past you, it does. Okay, so I'm gonna go with a question that we had that came in on our live feature last night. Hi, we've been trying to potty train my son for a couple of months now with the help of ABA, and now he can void when we take him, but won't tell us when he has to go. He will have accidents if we don't take him. What will be your suggestion to get him to use the toilet on his own or to tell us when he needs to go so that we can take him. 
This is a pretty common question, right? It's like potty training happens and people go, ooh, we did it, but there's still that extra thing where they're initiating on their own. Yeah, and that takes a little while and I would be very patient with it. And I don't know what schedule he is on right now, but generally I would, uh, you know, you want to get to a schedule that's like, let's say once an hour at the, at the minimum, maybe more than that even, that, that you're taking him, so longer periods. And you gradually, when you know that you, it's time to take him, uh, just start to ask him, do you want to go? And if he says no, just say, oh, well, let's try and then go ahead and take him. As you start asking him, he becomes a little bit more aware of it rather than just going along with your lead. And uh, then, you know, give it a, a little bit of time. I tell parents like, let him stay on a schedule for months, months before you start to let him decide. Because the body takes a little bit of time to adjust to this and it's really important for him to it's more important for your child not to go back to having accidents than it is for them to start initiating. So let's keep him on a schedule and lengthen the schedule as much as you can. So, you know, let's say, depending on the child's age, you can lengthen the schedule. So uh, once you have it pretty solid, let's say three, four months or so, and you've been asking him each time, you should be able to, uh, once in a while when you ask, he'll say yes, and you'll just send him. Um, and then gradually you'll be able to kind of back off of asking him and fade your instructions. So it'll be something like, oh, do we have to do something right now? Or, you know, uh, oh, what's going on? Let's see, is it time for some of those types of hints? Uh, some parents will also uh, like put reminders around the house, for example, pictures that might remind the child that they need to go, those types of things. But gradually you'll be surprised that the child will actually start to initiate on their own as you fade away your instruction. So it, am I, I feel like, in my memory, when they were potty training, potty training jam, that first it was like this party that they would set the timer even before we started potty training. That there was a timer, and every every so often we would the timer would go off, and we would just go, "It's potty time!" and we would do a conga line. Uh, my husband, myself, our son, and the therapist, we would all go into the bathroom. We would go, "Yay, we're in the potty!" and we weren't even setting him on the toilet. We did that for like. I don't know, like four or five, six days. And then it was, then they put him on the schedule and we did all that. But I, I, my re recollection was that at one point when, when the timer would go off and it was time to go to the potty, we would say, it's potty time. And then we would say to him, what time is it? And then, and if, and if he needed to, we, he would be prompt to say potty, please. And, then, you know, so that for that, for us was sort of that bridge. So is that kind of what you mean about the fading it off so that we, you know, but we actually had to prompt him to say potty please. And then he would say that. And then, then we would do the conga line, but he already thought that it was this like fun thing that the adults went crazy. So he yeah. would do whatever, does that, does that, that sound like what you're saying? Yeah. So the, the whole, um, Toilet training procedure, as you know, is a massive, uh, 
you have to be very, very reinforcing. And it starts with having the bathroom, you know, turn into Disneyland, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, you put everything you can in the bathroom, right? Like, we used to put a, a small TV in there, computers, yeah. music, uh, snacks, like you name it. The place was uh, turned into Disneyland, right? And all favorite toys and all that sort of stuff. And so there is already a motivation to go in there. And so you're right. Uh, it, it's a matter of fading out the, anti the discriminative stimulus, which is the prompt or the instruction to go in there, but kind of reminding the child that, oh, there's really good stuff in there. It's kind of reminding the child of the consequence. And if you think about it, Shannon, that is kind of the core of, ABA anyway, like in, in real life, the reason that we get conditioned to do things is because we re uh, remind ourselves of the end result, right? We remind ourselves of the consequence. It's not that someone every morning comes and reminds you, uh, hey, go work out now. It's more that you remember by working out, I'm gonna feel better, I'm gonna look better, whatever it is. So it's the same thing with our kids. As you fade out, the antecedent control, which is the discriminative, the instruction, as you fade that out, it's always helpful to remind the child um, of all the good stuff that they get there, which is like, oh, oh we're, gonna, we're about to do the conga line, but something has to happen first. And, you know, is it just me? I want to take a little poll among our viewers. When Dr. Grand Pichet just said, yes, the, uh, the reminder of the consequences, I am still so programmed from my childhood to think of consequences as the punishment. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking about the consequences as a punishment. The consequence is just what happens as a result. And in ABA, we really want to point out that the result of when you do this is fabulous. It's that, it's right. that you get to go to Disneyland. But I am right. still, you said consequences. And I was like, oh yeah, what are you know the consequences are when we wet our pants? And then I realized that's not at all what she's talking about. The consequence of I go there and it's a party. Yeah. And, and that all these yeah. years later, I still need to be reprogrammed. Right. We have to remember that reward is a consequence. Reinforcement yes. is one of the consequences. That's very, very important, right? Because the whole goal of, of life, the whole goal of therapy, but then ultimately the whole goal of life is to have more positive consequences than negative consequences. Yes. Thank <laughs> you for that. Because I, I think, you know, you and I have been talking a lot and are going to be talking a lot more about the, the you know, what is quality ABA and what isn't quality ABA. Right. And as we crest and go into April, you know, people are already warming up. They're winding up their things to say negative things about ABA. But you know, what I, I love when I talk to you, it's very clear to me that ABA, when used properly and done in a quality way, is to enhance the individual's life. And in yeah. order to enhance their life, it's got to be specific to them. It's not what I want. It's not right. what you want. It's something that's meaningful to them. Right, right. And, you know, the truth is ABA is not really everyone's choice. Uh, you know, some people just choose, they don't, they don't want to live an ABA life. They, they, they prefer a different process. 
Um, an ABA life is where you try to clarify for the child uh, the things that are adaptive to life that are uh, that are going to help the individual kind of uh, you know be accepted by society more, and then to reward those things. It's really that simple. You know, it's funny these days, Shannon, when I hear, like there's a lot, as you know, over the last, like, let's say two years or so, a lot of stuff has happened and the and society has changed. And I, let's, let's just talk about something like the Me Too movement as an example, right? So there are a lot of things that people in the past would have done, or, or I, you know, as you know, my husband is Canadian, so we were talking about the fact that uh, the Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau had, had like on three different occasions, uh, had blackface, right? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, in, in let's say 20 years ago, might've been uh, just acceptable. And now it is not an acceptable habit. A lot of things, some, one of my friends was talking to me about how she was treated at work. And I was thinking to myself, that's interesting. Like literally 20 years ago, nobody would have thought about this. But now people are paying attention to how women are treated uh, or African-Americans are treated, et cetera. So the societal rules change and we change in order to be accepted by society, right? And that is exactly the argument I was having a discussion with our dear friend Ilana like on text the other day. We were talking about how uh, just certain words like people uh, have a very hard time with certain words because of the way society has changed. And I was saying it's not, it, it, it's, it kind of is an interesting thing that we also all adjust in order to be accepted by society. And that's a response to a lot of folks who say, I don't, I, I like to be autistic. I don't want anyone to change me. Right. And it's the same thing. I could say the same thing now. I want to hold on to my beliefs, whatever they are but I change them because I want to adhere to societal rules and I want to be accepted by society and I want to be able to engage with others. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? It totally makes sense. And, and I just want to say one of the things that Autism Society of America has said this year is that they, they put out a thing and said they would like for all news and media outlets to change Autism Awareness Month to Autism Acceptance Month. And I think just the example that you were just using, because I think that sometimes society arbitrarily decides, well, this is what's normal. Yes. This is what's acceptable. This is what's okay. And I think what we're learning is that, for instance, one of the things that the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Matter movement has shown us is that you know, society may have said it was okay because enough people looked away, but there were people who were being hurt by it. So, you know, it was totally acceptable society-wise in the 60s for, you know, somebody in an office to say something to a woman and have her, for instance, you know, twirl before she went on camera. Nobody was crying foul, but that didn't make it okay. And yeah. it wasn't okay for a lot of people. And I think one of the things that we're experiencing right now is that there are a bunch of people who are stepping forward as a group in different categories, women are stepping forward and saying, that's not okay. Um, it was never okay, but it's not okay. 
that our black and brown friends are stepping forward and saying that was never okay. It might've been okay with, with what you guys decided, but it was never okay. And our friends on the spectrum are stepping forward and saying, this is what is not okay for us. And I know you, you try to listen to that. I try to listen to that because it all comes down to the perspective taking, right? Absolutely. And, and isn't it interesting that I think what we're finding while everybody's been squawking and saying, oh, people on the spectrum don't take perspective very well. I think what we're finding is that as a whole, our society has not done a good job of perspective taking and that we can all be better. Um, but let's talk about, because this goes hand in hand with perspective taking here. We've got um, our mom who's the child says that even though he's better days and less self-harming, he has become very obsessed with me wanting to be with me constantly. Sometimes I'll be in the kitchen, he'll come in breathing really hard and he'll hold onto my arm. And then I need to stop what I'm doing for safety reasons, of course. If I'm riding in the passenger seat while my husband drives, he wants me to sit in the back with him. When I sit in the back, he starts holding on to me. Sometimes I can finish my house chores. I can't finish my house chores because he needs to be with me. What can I do to help him with anxiety that doesn't require for me to be with him at all times? We finally have an appointment with a psychiatrist next Wednesday and thanks in advance. That's great. Well, I think that uh, appointments with the psychiatrist should help because obviously uh, we're, we've been talking for a while now about this child getting some uh, on, on some medication that might help his anxiety. But you also have to be very careful because generally when we are anxious, we do uh, expect coddling and, and a lot of uh, additional support. And then it becomes a little bit hard to get the child off of that. So what I would suggest is that where possible, uh, don't necessarily do all the things that your child is, expect, is expecting you to do. Uh, it's totally fine to, of course, when he comes up to you in the kitchen, give him a hug, but then resume what you're doing. You don't have to interrupt and just stop doing what you're doing for the rest of the day. When he wants you in the back seats, perhaps sit in the front seats, but maybe put your arm back so he can have contact with you start to fade him off the dependence of just having you because he won't always just have you. Um, you can also give him other things like, I don't know, I don't remember his age now, but certainly he could have, uh, let's say a favorite stuffed animal or sometimes our kids like to have like a blanket or something in the car with them or some other object that will be also um, kind of give him a little bit of uh, uh, support and make him feel less anxious. Uh, those are some of the things also maybe share, like when he wants a person with him, maybe it doesn't have to be you. It could be his uh, father perhaps, or something like that. Uh, a lot of times our kids find comfort if they have a small toy that they can hold on to in their hand, maybe put it in their pocket. Uh, if he has the capability to understand, uh, give him um, some instruction about what the toy is. Uh, you know, it's funny because in a lot of cultures, uh, we have these objects that are uh, kind of uh, uh, in some ways make us feel safe, right? So for example, in a lot of cultures, you have 
the eye, right? A jewelry piece that is like an eye. In my culture, they say, oh, that's because uh, you wear this eye because uh, no one is going to eye you or like, you know, so you will be safe. Uh, there are many, many, I, I think these things are called what talismans or like little charms or different types of things that we have in our culture in, in all societies, uh, wearing a cross. Uh, all, all these things give us a sense of security, give us a sense of safety, and they are, again, socially acceptable norms. So those are some of the things that you could also maybe get him a bracelet that, depending on your beliefs, uh, has some sort of symbol on it that he can keep on his hand and he can look at that and that gives him and tell him stories about how that is a, uh, you know, it will keep you safe and God will keep an eye on you or whatever your belief system is. But that is a very socially appropriate thing to do. And as I said, I'm not saying don't give him the security that he needs from you. I'm just saying, uh, you know, make it as little as possible because you don't want him to become overly dependent. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. I want to go to this next question, which is really long, which is uh, when my child earns the iPad, he watches the same video or weird videos. His latest is super nanny and he just repeats. He tries to script it and use it into context. It's weird. When I told my supervisor, they said, have him wear headphones. It's his time. Uh, his iPad is his highest reinforcer. And if he's going to watch something that I don't, don't want bad behaviors. Uh, she says he stems on these videos so bad. I don't think that that was the best advice. Please help. The video says shut up, etc. And he is saying that to adults. Please help. Yeah. So uh, I would uh, not let him watch videos that are that you find to be inappropriate. I would uh, either block his so access to the internet on the iPad and just load the iPad with videos that are acceptable. I mean, that's one way to do it. Uh, or you would have to remove uh, access to various channels, like wherever he's watching Super Nanny. But it is entirely your decision what he is or is not allowed to watch. And I think you definitely... Uh, you don't let him watch whatever he wants. Let me agree with you there. I mean, I've had children who've gone on very inappropriate channels and uh, it has caused a lot of really bad behavior. So uh, just like any, any other child, you would block his access to things that are inappropriate. Now, uh, yes, your supervisor is also right in that it might lose its reinforcement value but too bad, find other things that are reinforcing. Uh, we don't always allow our kids to find inappropriate reinforcers. That's what this case is. So just make sure that you broaden uh, the choices um, with other things that are more, that are rewarding, but are more appropriate. You know, I've been threatening a lot this week, uh, Dr. Grampiche, that I want to, you, you know, I got several ideas for several writing projects that I want to do, uh, most of them with you, right? But there's one thing all week long I've been saying, you know what I really want to write? I want to write uh, a parent to BCBA dictionary, a translator. So right. when the BCBA says this, 
and the way we translate it for a parent, because a lot of times a BCBA will say something and as parents, we take it in the parent context, which is not how the BCBA meant it. And I want to venture to say that, that, you know, and sometimes it's just a, a misconnect because I love that the BCBA is saying that when he's when he has his time with the iPad, that is his time and we should not be dinging at them. But that does not mean that you can't block what he gets to see on the iPad. Right. <laughs> like there is a there is a way on the iPad that you can go through and you can put in keywords, you can put in websites, you can do all kinds of things and limit. That is your right as a parent. Oh yeah. Um, and that just only makes sense that That's you know right. there are certain things you don't want them to see. But I, as Dr. Grampichet said, you know, a lot of times we as parents we're you know we're trying to get that all the hours of the day, immersive educational environment, and, and we don't give our kids the downtime of this is my break. And, and I feel like that that's what the supervisor was saying to you is that, you know, let him, like our kids have to have time in which they also stim, don't they, Dr. Grampichet? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. So uh, I, it depends on how you define stim or self-stimulatory behavior so and i don't want our parents to think that it that they should just let their kids all day long do like oh. severe types of self-stimulatory behavior but i agree with you we all stim we all do in one way or another we have found ways that are not uh you know again it goes back to things that our society uh, uh accepts right um, I was cleaning up my office the other day and I found, I, I don't think I have any now because I've thrown them all away. But one of the stims I have is that I take paper clips while I'm talking and I open them, right? I open Ew. them. Do you do that too? <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. So I end up having a bunch of these paper clips that are now useless around me. And that is like a self-stimulatory behavior. It's funny, I remember when I first, the very first time I met um, my mentor who changed the entire field of ABA, Ivar Lovas, right, my professor, uh, he was interviewing me and I was sitting in his office and, at UCLA and during the interview, he had a little cup, like a little container at, that had pencils in it. And during the interview, he one by one sharpened every pencil. And I thought with a with a with an electric sharpener, right? And I thought, okay, well, maybe he just needed sharpening. And then over the course of the next 12 years that I really got to know him, I realized that is a habit he has. He just always is sharpening pencils. That was one of his things. And so we all have these things, but we try to find things that are not uh, you know, that are socially acceptable or or not really noticeable, let's put it that way. Wonderful. Uh, so I'm saying hello to Paula, our friend in Northern Ireland who has written in. Um, and I wanna go to our next question. Uh, my 11 year old autistic son is obsessed with picking leaves, flowers, oh. pulling uh, full branches off of trees. How can we help end this behavior? Oh, this is such a hard one. I remember I had a child who was obsessed with leaves and it is a super hard one because there's trees everywhere. Um, and it's just so hard to deal with. 
I guess if I want to just, you know, I'll step back, back in the days when I used to treat that little boy, um, we tried our very best to just block the behavior, right? So like we always had someone with him and we would try to prevent the behavior. I think the one thing we didn't do, which I'm recommending you do, is that you try to replace it at a different time. So I find out, like, this is one of those things where it's important to get a function of the behavior because you really want to figure out what it is about the leaves that attract him so much. It could be a number of different things. It could be the texture, uh, if he's just playing with them. It could be the sound either the sound of playing with them or even breaking the branches, I don't know. Uh, it could be the smell, it could be the look. Uh, sometimes if it's about pulling vines, it's how it looks. You really have to, it could be the reflection of light on there. You have to kind of figure out what it is and you can do that by observing uh, over a period of time because like he might do it to certain types of trees. And then you'll be like, okay, it's got to have a vine. So it has something to do with, you know, the length of a vine or something, or it's got to be trees where the branch makes a sound. Figure out what the function is, because that then becomes a very important clue in how you're going to replace it. Um, because if it's a matter of like, it's something that makes the sound, then it's easy because you can get him like casting or something that's going to make that sound. Uh, if it's something that, it, you know, it has something to do with the smell, then you replace it with some sort of aromatherapy type thing. Find out what the function is and then let us know and we'll help give you ideas of how to block that behavior, but replace it with something that gives them a similar type of uh, sensation. So I have a little bit of a follow-up question for this. We've seen sometimes, because we I, I brought up the thing about stimming before, and so this has me thinking. Um, you know, for instance, Dr. Temple Grandin had the thing where she would spin the plate on the foot of her bed. And um, what her mother said to her was, you get one hour a day where you can go spin the thing on the foot of your bed. Yeah. We, we, I, you and I know someone who likes to splash water. Um, when do we decide, okay, this thing is such a perseveration that we're not going to get rid of it. We can't really replace it with something else, but we're going to say, here are the confines and here are the boundaries around it. Here's when you can do it. And here's when you can't. And when do we decide that, so, like, that we can work on it and hopefully replace it? Does it reveal yeah. itself to you? So that's a really important question, Shannon. And it's not uh it's it's not a, a black and white thing but it is a very common thing if you think about it see we we often just think about these things and we think this is only about my child no this is exactly what we as adults uh typically functioning adults also go through in our own lives so i'll take that question and i'll turn it around and give it to you when do we decide that going to the mall excessively and shopping is now something that is excessive or that it's okay? When do we decide that, uh, you know, going out uh, every night is enough or it's okay? When do we decide that organizing and cleaning is an adequate amount or it's obsessive? So everything, I mean, this was one of the big lessons that I always try to tell my kids that my dad taught me was, is this whole concept of everything at, at a certain level, right? The, pick the middle. 
because any extreme is going to be a little bit problematic in one way or, or another. Extreme disorganization is problematic, but so is extreme organization, right? That this becomes called obsessive compulsive behavior. So the same thing with our kids, extreme self-signatory behavior where it is removing you from society. So it is getting you to a point where all you want to do is turn that thing on the end of your, and, and when someone tries to interrupt you, I always used to actually tell parents this. So, you know, if a child, the question really is, let's say a child plays a certain way with a toy, right? And we are thinking, this is a little obsessive. This is a little stimmy in nature. But you interrupt it and the child is totally fine and they move on to something else, right? Or they don't mind, as opposed to you interrupt it and the child has a massive tantrum, right? So it's about uh, a couple of different things. It's about the length, the duration of the activity cannot be so much that it interrupts, uh, that it interferes with your social integration or other activities which in our kids' cases in, include learning, learning. So when you're doing this repetitive behavior, you are not learning because you're not paying attention to anything else. So the duration of the activity, the intensity of the activity cannot be so much that it prevents the child from interacting or learning. So that's a very, very big one. And in and of itself, it cannot become such a habit that it is difficult to break. That I think is the second part of it, right? I, I, parents would come to me often and say, my child, his biggest reinforcer is his iPad and he wants to be on his iPad all day long. What's a good amount of computer time? And I would say that just depends on so many things. It depends on your family routine. It depends on how much uh, demand is on your child and how much free time or reward you are balanced it with, right? So if a child is, let's say, in a very, very demanding 40-hour-a-week program, I would allow them to twirl the thing on their bed more times, more duration, more amount of time than I would a child who otherwise has a lot of fun activities. So it, it depends on a lot of things, right? We just want to be able to always keep in your mind that the goal is uh, meeting societal rules or meeting family rules, family norms, society norms, uh, being able to be present in society, being able to pay attention. Those are the types of things. As long as you're able to do, it's like a perfect example. You know my kids, my oldest child is extremely diligent and studious and, you know, Throughout her life, I tried to get her to engage in anything bad. <laughs> it's like, just balance your life. Do something bad. Because <laughs> you're just too good in so many ways. And then I, my youngest child, fantastic in completely different ways, uh, it spends a lot of time going out with her friends and socializing. She's a social butterfly, right? But as, her grades are tremendous. They're amazing. So... Who cares? Like, let her go out and do all those things. Let her be messy in her. Who cares? Because she's doing the stuff that society accepts of her or expects of her. So the rest of the time is is a free for all. She can do what she wants to do. You know, it's it's well, hard to explain. 
I, 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 I want uh, to tell on you a little bit. I think I probably told you this story before, but um, when I went to the card 20th anniversary, I didn't really know you that well. I met you once, I think, before that. But um, it was a big star-studded event. And, you know, I was there because I did a radio show and I was covering it for the radio show. And um, then we all went into this huge hall. And because I was with press, I got seated in the very back, you know, um, and that was fine. But I was seated at a table with a bunch of your friends from high school. Oh. And they and they were telling stories about you in high school. And my favorite thing was that they talked about how, you know, they would all go out. They would want to go out and they would want to go dancing. And, and you would say, no, I gotta, I gotta study. And, and then they would say, no, come on, Doreen, you gotta go with us. And that you guys would all you'd be in a, a club dancing and you'd be on the dance floor grooving with all of them. And they would turn around and they would go, where did she go? And that you, they would find you underneath the table yeah. with your textbook going through and studying. And you're I, like, yeah, I'm I, coming back in just a second. But that, so it's interesting that you are both of your children, but um, you know, in different ways. And I, but I love that story about you. I've always thought yeah. about that and thought. They are, they are actually my friends from UCLA. Because I don't have so friends. Not high school, college. Here, right? So they're like my friends from UCLA and they're my undergrad friends. But the thing is that when we graduated, they all pretty much stopped. But I went on to grad school. And so we would be going out. So you're absolutely right. And I have many memories of this, no matter where we were. And I'd have to find a hiding place to study because I was in grad school at UCLA. And you don't mess around with that. No, right. And I loved meeting them because they were telling me about, you know, this younger version of you. And I was happy to tell them how much you had changed our lives. Oh, and, okay. and, and they were thrilled to hear, you know, about our story. And think about it. That was over 10 years ago. Uh, our story just gets better and better. So uh, that was a very fun occasion. But I, something you said, of course, leads into the next question because you always have this Vulcan mind meld. Um, talking about kids who are spending all this time on the computer. And we're seeing this across the board right now, Dr. Grampy-Shea, that parents are coming out of the woodwork saying, okay, we've been in this great isolation for a year and now my kid doesn't want to come out of his room and is only interested. Uh, so they're saying, hello, any tips on getting my shy, quiet, homeschooled seventh grader to try new things? He has autism and slow processing, but is on grade level. We are open to anything other than YouTube videos. He says no to pretty much anything and everything, no matter how short and effortless the activity is. He has no idea of the things he likes. We are desperate to expand his horizons. And I think this is so many parents that are out there right now that their kids are just watching TV, just watching YouTube, just playing video games. And we let them, I'm guilty as charged, we let them because it was all they had for a year, but now we're like, okay, how do we get them back into life? Yeah, so there's two things I wanna say about that. And it's actually really funny because yesterday I was on a hike with my youngest who's in town right now for spring break. 
and we were she was asking me she we were talking about stuff and i was just like you just need to get better at she was saying how this is what she was saying actually just our viewers will enjoy this she's 19 she's uh in her second year of university but she's very uh advanced socially <laughs> And so she was saying that she's finding it very hard to be adult and all the responsibilities that go with being adult because you have to, you know, pay your rent and pay your bills and cook for yourself and go shopping and all this sort of stuff. And she never realized how much there is. And I said, no, this is great because you, all you have to do is you have to get sit down with me when we go home. And I forgot to do it, so I'll do it today. And uh, we'll look at this four or five page reinforcement inventory that I have, and you can select things that are important to you. And you just are learning to regulate your life, which is part of what we all go through and it'll get easier. And what, we, what you need to do is remember to balance things. So the more demand, the more reward. There always has to be a balance between demands and rewards in life. And so for all of our kids, for all of us moms, for all of our dads, every, all human beings have to learn to balance their own lives. So what does that mean? That means little things every day. That means um, you, you make a list of all the reinforcers that have any kind of meaning to you at all. And you make sure that they are in some way or another infused in your life. Now, some of us, have reinforcers just because we love our kids so much we hanging out with them as a reinforcer right but a lot of us have a lot of demand on us right i didn't even want to go into it with my daughter yesterday i was like thinking of the five thousand things i juggle in a given day but i reward myself in a lot of ways too i have i incredibly enjoy having my kids around but i work out i have my puppies that i love i go on hikes i sleep early, whatever it is that I enjoy, you know, you pa we pamper ourselves in, in small ways here or there. And so it's the same thing uh, with our kids. You just need to look at this reinforcement inventory again, because I promise you there are things you haven't, you don't remember, or you've never thought of. And you're like, you know what, this might actually work. Like it might be reinforcing enough if I, uh, give him music instead of video. I, I don't know. It'll, it'll be different for every child. Uh, it might be reinforcing for him if I get him a small trampoline in the backyard as opposed to letting him sit on the video. It might be, you'll get ideas on the, off of this list, which Shannon, we should really share with our viewers um, because it's a very long list of, you know, at some point we've sat down and thought about every possible thing for, for humans, children and adults. You can modify it um things that are rewarding and then you re that's first of all you select all of those and secondly you remember that things change so today something might be reinforcing where tomorrow it won't be rewards change and the value of rewards change now the other uh, things i want to say about this is that uh there you can make something completely neutral feel valuable by pairing it with a reinforcer. So if you guys think about money, money on its own is just a token. It's a piece of paper or it's a, a piece of metal, right? The reason it has value is because it has been 
paired with the ability to purchase. So it has become valuable because the things we get with money are valuable. Food, clothing, shelter, whatever it is, those are the things, right? They have value. And because money enables us to get those things, money becomes valuable. So if you have a rewarding thing, let's say the video, and now you want to make something else uh, feel rewarding, pair those two things. It's actually, uh, you will follow the non-rewarding thing with the rewarding thing in close contact and they will get conditioned to each other. Okay, so, uh, and then you can fade out the rewarding thing because the thing that preceded it will now also take on rewarding qualities of its own. That's a little complicated, but I just want to throw that at parents to try. The, the other yeah. last thing I want to say about this quickly is that put your child on a schedule and stick to the schedule and don't worry if they lose it. Everybody loses it. We lose it. Like, you know, let's face it. Every Monday, uh, half the population out there is upset that they, the weekend is over, right? That's, that means my reinforcer just ended. I got to get back to work at eight o'clock in the morning. So everybody has that. But the sooner our kids get on a regimen, on a schedule, it doesn't matter if they tantrum or it doesn't, none of that matters. Within a few days, they will adjust to the schedule if you keep consistent with it and if you make sure there's enough reward in it not excessive but enough and again the rule of thumb is the more demand the more reward if you're giving your child a very heavy day make sure they have a lot of reward in there okay and um a couple of different things here because I, I we have a question about skills but i do want to say we definitely want that reinforcement list dr grampuchet to share with everybody. And I just want to say this, this conversation um, goes back to what we started talking about with talking about St. Patrick's Day and Persian New Year, that a lot of us with kids on the spectrum have found that, you know, our kids don't particularly want to go out. They don't want to try new things. They'll fuss about it. They'll yeah. even throw tantrums about it. But, you know, a lot of us have found that until we took our kids and, and forced them to be exposed to things, and when I say force, they're good things, but it's like, you got to get them in the car and they don't want to get in the car to go. Some, but as Dr. Grampy-Shea, we used to, you know, In-N-Out was a big In-N-Out burger here in Los Angeles, big reinforcer for him to get an In-N-Out burger and he would get it gluten-free without the bun, but that was the big deal. So we took him to museums. We took him, I know it's hard in COVID, but things are starting to open back up. We took him every month, they would have um, what they would call a musical petting zoo at the local orchestra, which meant that your kids got to go and try the clarinet, try the violin, because how would you know what they're interested yeah. in? And one of my dear friends, you know, she had no idea her daughter wasn't communicating very much, wasn't speaking very much. She, but she would put things on the television. She put Phantom of the Opera on the television left the room for a second and her daughter was singing opera. And this, this young woman has now sung at the White House twice. Amazing. And she would never have known that her daughter um, was into that, into that, it, you know, but you have to expose them. So you have to sort of get over that thing where they're, they're freaking out about stuff and, 
and let them, as Dr. Grampuche, you know, be on their schedule and have their feelings about it. You know, they're yeah. going to, they're going to be like, I don't want to. And you go, I, I heard you let's get in the car and give them the reinforcer for it. Um, somebody's asking the question, can the skills program help with apraxia uh, of speech? Let me, since we're talking about skills, let me give the skills disclaimer here. This week uh, on skills, skills is a wonderful tool. I'm going to give you guys a phone number. They give away something free every week. They work in conjunction with IBT, which is the Institute for Behavioral Training. This week for ABA parents and guardians, they are offering the free IBT parent learning course, Overcoming Challenging Behaviors. You all need this. It's free and you all need this. I guarantee you, you will love this. It is so informative. I'm going to give you the phone number. Hang on. Also for educators, um, the, oh, how much are you going to want to make sure your teachers have this? This week, they're offering the IBT Educator E-Module Teaching Communication. How badly do your teachers need to have this? It's free. You can get it for them. They're also offering the RBT 2.0 training course free for parents on a case-by-case -case basis and a 10% discount on all skills products if you end up buying something. But everything we just talked about was free. Here's the phone number, 877-975-4559. That's 877-975-4559. Just tell them you saw it on Autism Live. Uh, Dr. Grampy-Shea, skills, uh, apraxia? Yeah. 30 so seconds. Definitely. You need to go, though, if you go, yes, it can help. Um, because apraxia is basically has to do with low muscle tone in the tongue. And so I, you go in the motor section of skills, the motor curriculum has an oral motor section. And in there, you will see a lot of exercises that are listed for specifically for apraxia. Okay. And I just want to say, uh, notice Maggie, who was joining us from Texas. We're so glad that you're here. Dr. Grampiche, we're out of time. But I want to thank you for being here. I want to remind everybody of a couple of things. First of all, tomorrow on the show, we have Danny Bowman. She is a, a, a self-described self-advocate on the spectrum, owns her own animation studio, Danimation Studios. She is a teacher. She teaches kids on the spectrum how to animate, and she's brilliant. She's also, she animates for books, and Danny's been on the show many times before. We have her tomorrow. Can't wait to talk to her because she, since she last was with us, she finished her master's degree uh, and now she's going for her PhD. So, you know, she's kind of remarkable. We'll be thrilled to have, and young, young woman on the spectrum uh, and delightful. And then on Friday, we are having Yadira Calderon and Rainbow Moshi, who they now have two books that are out and Rainbow Moshi, wonderful, talented young artist on the spectrum. You're going to love them. They've been on the show before, but we haven't had them on for a while. So thank you for all of you for being here. We're going to say goodbye to Dr. Grampiche, but don't go away because there's a short video that shows you how you can share our information and keep us going. So stay, stand by for that, but we'll see you tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye.